Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies, and Manny New Year! <laughs> welcome to 2023, and welcome to a brand new podcast novel. No reruns this time, my fine-feathered friend. The new book is called Slay. This is an entirely new way for me to bring you new fiction every week. It is a bold experiment. Bold, I say. If you want more details about this experimental format, I will explain what's going on after the episode. Now, a few warnings about Slay before we dive in. Warning number one. This novel contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Warning two. This book is not deeply rooted in science like many of my other works are. You could call this... um. Urban fantasy or just fantasy, I'm not sure how the rules work there. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything about the story other than to give you that quick heads up. Hopefully, you will listen in and hopefully you will dig it. Oh, a quick note about halfway through the story, you may hear a slight change in the audio quality. When we were doing the live stream, I got lost at the end of a chapter, couldn't find the next half of the chapter, asked A to come in, turned on her microphone, forgot to turn her microphone off. It's a real subtle change. After five seconds, you won't even notice it. Don't worry about it. We got it. Won't happen next time. So without further ado, let's get into Slay Part 1, and I will blab at you after the story. The smell of leather. The taste of blood. She'd had enough bloody lips enough little splinters or small cuts she'd automatically sucked at to know that metallic tang. Anastasia felt so groggy, so thick. She licked wetness from her lips and tasted it again. But her lips didn't hurt. Maybe she'd scraped herself in her sleep. She didn't know. Something tight around her throat. Her wrists felt cold and clammy. She tried to open her eyes. Her eyelids felt like dirty cotton, all dry and hot. Her nose itched. She went to scratch it. She couldn't move her hands. Something around her wrists. Anastasia felt a stab of fear. Her eyes opened, narrow slits full of blurry brightness. Candles? Bunch of candles? A room, tastefully and expensively decorated. Old wood, bookshelves a Turkish shrug, pricey knickknacks. She remembered where she was. The ugly Christmas sweater party at the brownstone of Dimitri's friend Chuck. Anastasia had snagged her mother's holiday light sweater, the little bulbs actually lit up, super cute, and slipped out, taking the subway with Kate. Kate's sweater had a gingerbread man with squinty eyes on it, the words, let's get baked, stitched on the bottom. There were supposed to be dozens of people at the party. Rich kids like her, artists and models and rappers and singers and actors and wine and all the nose candy she could toot, Dimitri had promised. But there hadn't been anyone there other than Dimitri and his two friends, Chuck and Artie. The others were coming, Dimitri had said. He'd given her wine, 
red wine, a glass for her and Kate both. Chuck had dared them to pound the first glass. He had teased, you're not a little girl anymore, are you? Anastasia had looked to Dimitri, hoping he would back her up, but he'd only smiled, shrugged, then drained his own glass. Kate chugged hers. Anastasia had followed suit. Because Kate was a year older, a junior, and already getting her driver's license. Anastasia hadn't wanted to look weak or stupid, didn't want to disappoint Dimitri, so she'd forced her wine down in big gulps. Then she'd felt sleepy. Artie had held something up. Two somethings. Circles of black leather connected with... with... with chains. Another stab of fear. This one, far worse. Her hands were at her waist. She tried to pull them, heard the rattle of metal and the creak of leather, but she couldn't move them. Leather on her wrists, tight around her neck. Oh, God. Dimitri and Chuck and Artie had drugged her and bound her. She heard her own ragged gasps. Tears wet her eyes, chasing away the cotton, letting her see. Candles everywhere. The brownstone's living room. She was on a white couch. Lights glowed on a green Christmas tree. A small fire crackled in a small fireplace. Someone on the couch next to her. Kate, in her brown sweater with the white trim, leaning on the armrest, facing away. Her hands at her sides, held by black leather cuffs affixed to a gleaming chain around her waist. From that chain, a leather strip ran up her back where a gleaming ring connected it to a leather collar around her neck. Kate wasn't moving. No one else in the room. Anastasia fought against a scream. Maybe Dimitri and the others didn't know she was awake yet. What were they going to do to her? Kate, she whispered. Kate, wake up. We're in trouble. Kate didn't move. Anastasia clumsily reached toward her friend, bumped her shoulder. Kate slid off the couch, slumped on the floor. At first, Anastasia saw only the blood streak on the couch's cushion on the armrest, candlelit red against snow-white linen. Then she looked down at her friend. A blood-soaked hole in the center of Kate's chest, right through the gingerbread man's squinty face. In that hole, Anastasia saw bits of blood-smeared, broken bone and a hole where Kate's heart should have been. The taste of blood. Kate's blood had splashed on Anastasia's lips. A scream erupted from Anastasia, but it sounded oddly muffled, deadened, and that, too, was terrifying in itself. She screamed again, even louder, but what came out was even quieter. That won't work here, my sweet. Dimitri stood in the wide, arched entryway leading to the dining room. It was and it wasn't him. His voice. His so ugly, it's cute green and red checkered sweater with the gold tinsel spelling out on the naughty list. His gorgeous brown hair. But not his face. Not anyone's face. Green black skin. Red eyes. A smile that showed pointed teeth, teeth streaked with blood, bits of raw meat stuck between some of them. 
I find gag balls to be so cliche, the thing said. Easier just to turn the room's volume down a bit, don't you think? Dimitri's voice, the same voice that had read her poetry, had sang her songs. In his green-black hand, a hand that now had long, pointed, ice-black nails, a chunk of raw meat. Kate's heart. Bits of which were stuck between Dimitri's teeth. Thank you for bringing your friend, Dimitri said. Kate was quite a trooper. Anastasia's father had told her not to see Dimitri. He'd said the boy was trouble. She'd ignored her father. She'd thought he wanted to keep her locked away like some kind of pet, thought he couldn't handle her becoming a woman. How wrong she had been. Let me go, she said. Her words the thinnest ribbon of breath. Let me go. Dimitri smiled, showing more of his pointed teeth. We will, in a way, he said. Eventually, you'll get shit out just like Kate will. And some Kung Pao shrimp we had for lunch. It's too spicy for me, but Chuck loved it. Kate's our first dinner course. We saved you for last. While we eat our fill of her, me and the boys can have some fun with you. He stepped into the living room. Anastasia's legs wouldn't move. Not from restraints, but because they wouldn't obey her. She tried to shrink away, like a puppy afraid of the master's angry hand, but all she did was push her back against the couch. Just a little spell to keep in place, Dimitri said. The restraints are Artie's. He likes that bondage stuff. Chuck and Artie walked in, stood at Dimitri's sides. The same red eyes, the same blood-smeared teeth, although Chuck's skin was more a blue-black and Artie's was more brown. Chuck's sweater was blue, with a Santa peeing an arc of yellow off a snow-covered roof. Artie's sweater had the words, When I think about you, I touch my elf, complete with a smiling stuffed elf stitched on the part that hung over his crotch. Dibs on Anna's fingers, Chuck said. He had the deepest voice of the three, a man's voice in a teenager's body. Anastasia had wondered if Chuck might become a voice actor someday. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. 
As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The flapping of bird wings startled everyone, so out of place inside the brownstone. A crow flew into the room and madly circled near the ceiling, wingspan almost as wide as Anastasia was tall. One, two, three, 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 the crow said. That's your ass, your ass, your ass. With that, the bird shot out of the room, heading for the stairs that led to the second floor. A dead friend. Heart-eating monsters. And now, a talking crow. Chuck, Dimitri said, did you open a window upstairs? Chuck's monster face stared blankly. It was hot up there. Artie's red eyes widened. Monster or not, Anastasia saw the fear on Artie's face. Ah, uh, I think that was Shitbird, he said. We're in trouble, you guys. I'm getting out of here. Dimitri used the hand holding the shredded heart to point at Artie. You stay right there, Dimitri said. If you run, I'll... A loud as hell bang of breaking wood and bending metal. Something had hit the front door, undoubtedly smashing it inward. The sound of booted feet on the entryway's tile floor, calmly walking closer. No one moved. A man stepped into the living room. A slate gray robe covered him from head to toe, its hood hiding his face in darkness. Dmitri Ivanko, the man said. There's a price on your head. That head is coming with me. Whether or not the rest of your body comes with it, that's up to you. Anastasia's mind reeled. Could this be a nightmare? But it all felt so real. Look what the raven dragged in, Dimitri said. If it isn't the Rixator turned bounty hunter. You must be out of the loop, man. If you knew who you were fucking with, you wouldn't have come. Chuck, bring me that prick's heart. Growling like a bear, Chuck took a tentative step forward, stopped when the man in gray raised a hand. I ain't here for you, he said to Chuck. He looked at Artie. Or you. You can both walk. But if you come at me, I will cut you down. Chuck glanced at Dimitri. Either you kill him, Dimitri said, or I will kill you. Chuck rushed forward, hands extended, sharp claws leading the way, Kate's blood still gleaming on them in ruby streaks. The man in gray flipped his cloak aside. In an instant, Anastasia saw hints of dark gray armor, a holstered pistol, a sheathed knife as long as her arm, but he didn't grab those. His right hand came out holding a little axe. A hatchet, she remembered. Just as Chuck closed in, claws first. The man in gray sidestepped and chopped down. A sound like breaking branches wrapped in a wet blanket. Chuck's leg dropped off at the knee. He screamed the scream of a demon, tumbled into the Christmas tree, knocking it over in a clatter of ornaments and hissing branches, his blood flying everywhere. Hideous lips 
In a sharp tooth howl of agony, Chuck grabbed at his spurting leg. The hatchet came down fast and hard, thunked into Chuck's head. The monster in the pissing Santa sweater shuddered, twitched, then fell to his side against the toppled tree, his dead weight smashing delicate ornaments. The man in gray yanked the hatchet free, turned, and faced Dimitri. Anastasia's boyfriend didn't look quite so confident anymore. Listen, Hunter, he said, we can work something out. For the first time, Anastasia realized it wasn't the hood that hid the man's face, but rather a blackness, dense like the smoke of an oil fire. The blackness quivered slightly with his every move, his every word. Too late for that, Ivanko, he said. Dimitri ran for the dining room. The hatchet whizzed through the air, a blurred circle of death. It dug deep between Dimitri's shoulder blades. He grunted and fell face first, smacking hard against the floor. The gray hood turned toward Artie. Um, I'll just see myself out, Artie said. He walked quickly toward the wide arch that led to the foyer, his green-black monster face wincing the whole way as if he'd expected to be struck, but the man in gray ignored him. Instead, the cloaked figure strode toward Dimitri who was crawling across the floor. The man yanked the hatchet free from Dimitri's back, raised it, brought it down hard and final on the back of Dimitri's neck. Dimitri's head rolled free, a stub of a neck squirting red blood across the floor. His back now to Anastasia, the man again reached into his cloak, came out with a box of some kind, a head-sized box made of metal and etched with weird little symbols. In went Dimitri's head. The man pulled the box close. Anastasia saw his cloak ripple, but when he stood and faced her, the box was gone. The shadow-faced man walked toward her, hatchet still in hand. Anastasia winced, tried to lean away. Oh, the man said. Sorry about that. He wiped the blade of his hatchet against the couch, then slid it inside his cloak. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay still, as if she had any choice. He undid her restraints, tossed them on the floor. She stood. Her legs worked again. Don't run, the man said. If you do, that other one could get you. Chuck, dead. Dimitri, dead. They had killed Kate, but they hadn't done it alone. The other one's name is Artie, Anastasia said. He's getting away. She heard the terror lace in her words, and yet she was oddly surprised that she wasn't a babbling, insane wreck. He's not my problem, the man in gray said. Anastasia looked into the wavering smoke covering the man's face, searching for eyes, for any semblance of the person behind it. She found none. But he's a monster, she said. He'll do this to someone else. Aren't you, I mean... Well, aren't you like Monster Hunter or something? Monster Hunter. It sounded ridiculous to say those words out loud, like that was reality and not something for one of her little brother's video games. But that is what Dimitri had called the man. That and Rixator? My work carries a price, the man said. Are you putting a bounty on Artie's head? Uh, a what? A bounty? 
dude, I'm only 15. Whatever it was that covered his face receded, a spent wave sliding back across the sand and into the sea. What lie beneath was both comforting and terrifying in its own right. Comforting because he was human, something she'd taken for granted, but not anymore. He was an old man, maybe 30 or 40. Anastasia wasn't good at guessing ages. He had high cheekbones and a heavy jaw, but terrifying because of his bright steel gray eyes, or rather, what was in them? An analytical coldness that made her shiver. The eyes of a butcher, maybe, of someone who kills without a second thought. Then this Artie isn't my problem. Pay to slay, girl. He paused, waiting for something. Did he think that slogan was cool, maybe? Are you hurt, girl? Did they bite you? He glanced down at her waist. I mean, like, anywhere. Just the thought of that was almost as bad as Kate's heart being ripped out. Almost. I, I don't think so. Tears came now, unbidden and unstoppable. Anastasia wiped them away. If, if they did, do I turn into one of them? He smiled ruefully, his gray-peppered stubble making deep laugh lines at the corner of his mouth seem deeper, darker, only Anastasia had a feeling those lines weren't from laughing. Screaming lines, maybe? They weren't those kind of monsters, he said. Regular old carnivores, with a sadistic streak, of course. There was nothing regular about them, or you. The man in gray huffed. You can say that again. You saw them as they truly are? Faces like a rhino's ass? A single laugh unexpectedly slid out of Anastasia's mouth. What a funny expression, and yet kind of accurate. She'd seen that animated gif with the rhino pooping. Yeah, she said. They were, they were horrible. Monsters are real. I have to tell someone. Everyone. What are they? What are you? You've seen too much, the man said. You won't be telling anyone anything. Those cold, cold eyes. The darkness lurking within them. Was he going to kill her? The doorbell rang, and she nearly jumped out of her skin. It's all right, the man said. He turned his head, shouted toward the door. Fucking come in already! Anastasia heard the door creak heard the clatter of small steps. The children? They entered the living room. Five of them. They weren't children, unless children could somehow grow white beards that hung down to pot bellies. Little people. Very little. Not even three feet tall. They wore pointy black leather hats. The one in front wore leather pants held up by sparkly pink suspenders. No shirt curly white chest hair. His leather crotch stuck out obscenely. Did he have a boner? With him, two little people girls, two little people boys. The girls wore fishnet stockings and red miniskirts. One wore a tight shirt that said Daddy's Little Ho, spelled H-O, on it. The boy on the left wore nothing but a jock strap dotted with rhinestones. The one on the right, a leather mask with a zipper. For a mouth. 
the one in front, the one with the suspenders, glanced at Artie, then Kate, then Dimitri. Well, this is a bit of a mess, he said. You want them removed? Property damage fixed? They stay, the man in gray said. Clean it all up. Leave it for the cops. The little man hooked his thumbs in his suspenders. Gotta get real dirty to get real clean, he said. Job looks like seven pieces of gold, six of silver. The man in gray nodded. Fair enough. I gotta collect the bounty first. On credit again, huh? The little man sighed. Just once, maybe you could have money on hand. No big whoop. Want us to get started? My cock's so hard a cat couldn't scratch it. The man in Gray's eyes narrowed. Real in the language, Bingles. This girl's underage. The bearded man shrugged. Well, this orgy ain't gonna suck itself, he said. Say, you went out on the action this time? Tim Tom here's been talking about what a fine ass you got. The one in the jockstrap grinned wide and pointed to, well, to his jockstrap. The man in gray shuddered. Uh, no thanks. Uh, you got a forget-me dot on you by chance? Please, Bingle said. I don't, and even if I did, I wouldn't sell it to you on credit. Work on your cash flow, man. The man in gray's cold eyes again locked with Anastasia's. He reached into his cloak, came out with a small silver flower, five teardrop-shaped petals angling up away from a bumpy central ling. It's going to be okay, he said. You're not going to remember any of this. Anastasia stared at the delicate, gleaming bit of silver. What is that? It's complicated. They're crazy expensive. This is my last one. But, uh, you know, after what you've been through, I think you deserve it. Anastasia glanced at her dead friend, at the two monsters leaking blood across the hardwood floor, soaking into the Turkish rug. My friend was just murdered, she said, by a monster I thought was my boyfriend. You killed a guy with a hatchet. There's little people dressed up like some kind of Wizard of Oz porno. Forget? I doubt it, mister. Stay still, he said. This won't hurt. He put a hand on her shoulder, squeezed just hard enough to silently say, this is happening whether you want it to or not then gently pressed the silver flower against her forehead. Anastasia Wainwright felt the metal's chill, then it warmed, became a buzzing tingle. She couldn't see it, but she felt the flower slide through skin and skull, felt it expand inside her brain. The sensation put Coke to shame. The room filled with white light. The last thing she saw was the black cowl washing over his face, hiding away the heartless gray eyes. Anastasia woke to someone gently shaking her shoulder. Her eyes felt like they were filled with cotton, all dry and itchy. With effort, she opened them to find a woman staring at her. The woman wore blue rubber gloves. A paramedic? Take it easy, the woman said. Some bad things happened. A white sheet on the floor covering a body. Anastasia knew who it was. Oh no, she said. 
her soul suddenly hollow. Is that... is that Kate? The paramedic nodded. Yes. She overdosed. So did two of your friends. Anastasia remembered them taking the pills. She had refused. I told her not to take it, she said. Kate told me not to be such a nerd. And now, Kate was dead. If Anastasia had taken it, she might be dead, too. Do you know what they took, miss? Um, they were blue. Dimitri said they were fentanyl. Medical grade, though, he said. He said they were medical grade. Dimitri, is he? The paramedic glanced to her right. Anastasia looked in time to see Dimitri's face in that crazy Christmas sweater of his just before a man in a windbreaker pulled a white sheet over him. He's dead, the paramedic said. So is a boy named Charles. Anastasia felt like all of reality had just drained from her body. Chuck, she said. What about Artie? Is he dead too? Just the three of them. The paramedic looked off, beckoned someone over. A man in a brown sport coat walked over. He knelt next to the paramedic. You're a minor, and you have the right to have your guard and your legal representation present when you speak to me, the man said. But if you wait for that, it might be too late for anyone else who was here. Are you willing to talk to me? If Artie wasn't here, the poor boy was out there somewhere, and he had taken the same pills. Anastasia had to help him. Yes, she said. I'll tell you everything I know. The detective nodded. Great. First, was he wearing anything distinctive? When I think about you, I touch my elf. She told the detective everything she knew, and she hoped that Artie was still alive. And that was Slay's opening episode. The Man in Grey will be back. You will learn more about him in the weeks to come. So before the episode, I told you that after the episode, I would talk to you about this grand experiment I am trying. Let me tell you the why of Slay, the why of this experiment, and then the how of Slay. The why is that a real girl and I felt the need to give the hardcore audience original weekly fiction again. The next three to four books I'm writing, I probably will not be able to podcast those at all because of contractual obligations. To get around this, we have rerun some old gyms, like the rookie adult version, but we can't keep doing that forever. We don't want to keep doing that forever. So here's your new stuff. Slay is brand new. This is old school Sigler for you original junkies who remember things back in the day, the early days of podcasting, because Slay is not available anywhere but in the podcast. Eventually, this book will be out in print, ebook, and audiobook, but for now, you can only get it in the podcast. You can only get it from week to week. Part of the why of Slay that leads into the how of Slay is that I need a simpler concept that doesn't require the massive amounts of research, fact-checking, timeline check, continuity, expert consultation that I do for books like Earthcore, Infected, or Nocturnal, my modern-day horror thrillers. Because of the nature of how we're delivering this, I need something that is a bit more freeform in nature. In writing fiction, there's two general camps. You are either a planner or a pantser. No, not panther, like steel panther. I mean panther, 
as in by the seat of your pants. This is also called gardeners versus architects. Now, I've always been a planner. I've always been an architect. I create these meticulous outlines for the entire novel that are like the foundation and framework of a building. My outline is the blueprint so that before I start building, I know exactly how the building is going to look when it is all done. To carry that analogy forward, my writing process, the first draft is like running the electrical and the plumbing, putting up drywall, doing all the framing. The second and third drafts are possibly comparable to the sanding, the painting, doing the trim, bringing in the furniture, and making sure the building is ready for occupants. Occupants like you, junkie. A pantser or a gardener is someone who plants seeds, for example, writing a first chapter, then letting the tendrils of the story grow where they may. In other words, a pantser or gardener will write a chapter and then figure out what the next chapter is only after they finish the first chapter and see where the story leads them. George R. R. Martin and Stephen King are both well-known gardeners. Uh, Dan Brown, Agatha Christie, James Patterson, all of your favorite thriller authors, those are well-known architects. Their architect blueprint needs to be done before they start so they can kind of foreshadow their planned outcomes, which is part of the game of reading books of that style. So you can guess where things are going. Okay. That all brings us now to the how of Slay. With Slay, I'm going to be doing a hybrid of planning and pantsing. I have a rough outline of where I would like season one to go, but how we get from episode one to episode 20 or however long season one is, is going to be more pantsing because of junkies just like you. That's right. You will have the opportunity to give your feedback on the story while I am writing it. How, you ask? Because of the schedule. I write the chapters on Fridays. I only work on Slay on Fridays just one day a week. On the following Wednesday, I read that chapter live on our weekly live stream, which takes place 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern at YouTube.com slash Scott Sigler, Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, and Twitch TV slash Scott Sigler. After I read the episodes, that takes about 30 minutes. The next 30 minutes of the one-hour live stream, I'll see what resonates with the audience. Was there a breakout character I thought would be minor that people loved? Was there a significant character that fell flat? Do you think character X might betray character Y? Or that characters B and C might hook up? Things like that. Feedback like that can sway the story's direction and possibly get characters more screen time. So if I inadvertently come up with a fan favorite, I'll be able to write that fan favorite more scenes. So Fridays I write, Wednesdays I read it live. We do it live. And anyone watching on Wednesdays is among the first in the world to hear that chapter. Then we take the audio from the Wednesday live stream. We edit out the ums and the ahs and the bad takes, and we get that polished audio. We put it in the feed on Sunday, which is exactly like what you were listening to now. Do you need to watch these live streams? Not at all. First of all, the video is archived. So if you want to watch the live stream, but you can not catch it live, you can watch it after the fact. They're archived on YouTube, on Twitch, on Facebook. Second, all of the audio in that live stream episode is going to be in the very feed that you are listening to right now, which means if you don't give a shit about live streams, you don't care. All cool. You don't got to change nothing. Your story's going to smack you in the face every Sunday, just like it always has. However, if you do want to join a real girl and I and the junkies in the chat room on Wednesdays, we would love 
to have you. There's the how, there's the why, and that is it for this week. I will be back next week with Slay episode two. And until then, I hope your 2023 is absolutely fantastic. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.